In recent years, we've seen a crisis of leadership in the Western evangelical world. We can all name names and shake our heads, but perhaps we ought to step back and think more widely about the models of leadership we've adopted and put into practice. My name is Kenny Innes, and in this episode of Theodisc, I talk with Professor Andrew Parker about the ways in which we need to re-engage with and train people in the kind of leadership modeled by Jesus, servant leadership. Andrew teaches professional formation at WTC. He's a freelance leadership consultant with specific expertise in the one-to-one coaching of high-level leaders. He's previously been professor of sport and Christian outreach at the University of Gloucestershire and associate professor at the University of Warwick, where he completed his PhD. He presently fulfills academic duties at St. Padam's Institute at the University of Cardiff and Truett Seminary. Andrew is a highly published and established academic who has a reputation as an effective leader and communicator and whose work is accessible to a wide audience. This is our 24th episode of Theodisc, so if you haven't heard all of our previous episodes, please dig into our back catalogue. You can receive all future episodes by subscribing to Theodisc on whatever podcast platform you use. Now, my conversation with Andrew Parker. Enjoy. Andrew Parker, it's great to have you on the Theodisc podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Kenny. Lovely to be with you. Yeah. And we're going to have a conversation today around leadership, particularly servant leadership, and maybe examine a little bit. I think we're all aware of there's kind of a, a crisis of leadership, at least in the Western evangelical church. We're seeing some some things happen in the moment that maybe is causing us to question some of the ways that we've structured or promoted leadership and causing us to think about maybe there's some changes we might be able to make. So let's we'll talk through that as part of our conversation today. But before we get to that, um, I ask all of my guests, just so we can get to know you a little bit before we get into the deep stuff, um, just a few things um, so we can uh, find out what are um, some things that are kind of constants for you, things that you return to. Um, and so the three categories I'd like you to think about are um, a book that you return to, a meal or a kind of food that you return to, and a location that you return to. So first up, oh, and by the way, for the book, this is the first one, you can't use the Bible. All right, great. Or any variation of that, a non-biblical text. Great. So a book that you return to. Yeah, that's easy. So <clears throat> a book I always return to is a book called, it's called The Boundaries Book, When to Say Yes and When to Say No. It's by two American psychologists called Cloud and Townsend. Yeah. Um, somebody gave it me 23 years ago and it absolutely changed my life. And I routinely go back to that because of work situations and social situations. So that is an easy, that's an easy win for me. Yeah, I might need to revisit that book myself. Yeah, good one. All right, next, um, a food or a meal that you return to. Okay, so, so some people are going to really dislike this. I am a McDonald's <laughs> fan. <clears throat> I would I would eat a McDonald's uh, a Big Mac and fries every day if I could, and I can't. But there you go. That that's terrible, isn't it? But I do. I really do love. I do love that. I know there's an ethical question there, but if you're asking me just about food, that's that's what I would say. Listen, I have a confession. I went to Paris once <laughs> and had a Big Mac. 
Um, Don't worry, my, my wife took me to Paris for a wedding anniversary, and she said, you're going to love the room. And I said, why? And she opened the curtains when we got in the room and McDonald's was across the road. <laughs> now, did you ever see the documentary Super Size Me where the yeah. guy ate that every day? I did. That was me. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for being so honest. Pleasure. Um, ne- final one, a place or a location that you return to. Yeah, that again, that's easy. I grew up in the northwest of England, and so the Lake District is my go-to. That's my therapy. I go up those hills, and um, I need to go fairly regularly. That's my escape. So yeah, yeah, it's brilliant there. Um, what's it's not the cat skills? What's the not cat skills? That's in New York. Yeah, this it's um, yeah. I mean, just the just really walking the low fells is. I, I'm not. Okay. I, I'll go up the, the the big hills when I need to, but. Having spent a lot of time up there as a child, I kind of know where to go away from the madness. So yeah. it's just one of those places. We've all got one of those places, haven't we? Absolutely. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Andrew. That's great. We now know you. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. So let's kind of shift gear here. We'll move into talking about this issue of leadership and servant leadership i think it'd be a good place to start just if you kind of filled us in a little bit on um some of the work that you've been doing in terms of training and supporting leaders because i know that's a real a real passion of yours yeah thanks kenny i think i was an academic for 25 years and um i got involved in a lot of leadership work um particularly one-to-one work obviously inside universities working with staff senior staff but um and it became a real passion for me and uh, just a little backstory I, I went to an academic conference in 2011 in in the states and my alarm didn't go off one morning i got up late felt very embarrassed grabbed some breakfast and ran into one of the rooms and the only chair that was empty was right at the front big room you know probably four or five hundred in there one circular tables one chair left right at the front by the stage so i just went straight for it and after five minutes, I knew I was in the wrong room. I'd gone to the wrong thing. But I was too embarrassed to get up because I was late and I was sat at the front. I was too embarrassed to get up and leave. <laughs> and a guy came in and spoke about servant leadership and it changed my life. Huh. Absolutely. Wow. Um, I'll never forget it. And and since then, I knew God was telling me to, to do something with this. And I just felt it was saying, you need to read everything you can about leadership. And so that's really what I've done for the last 12, 13 years. Um, and and came out of university work, full-time university work in 2019 and set up a leadership consultancy. So that's that's the that's the journey really. And that consultancy, what kind of um is that kind of a quite a broad um client base that you have for that? Yeah, so I work with um obviously work with church leaders, uh, but but my my work is mainly with secular leaders across different um sectors. I work across corporate, charitable, um across with medics lawyers professional sports people um in healthcare right across different sectors um and industries and organizations so you've got got a fairly wide-ranging clientele actually it's mainly one-to-one work i do some work with teams but but one-to-one work is really what i specialize in and that's interesting maybe we'll, we'll pick that part of your work up later this idea that servant leadership has become quite a um a well-received way of leading within 
some corporate spheres. And that might be interesting when we come to later talking about how that works out in, in the church. But in the last decade, I think we've seen some spectacular high-profile implosions. seems that recently there's some acceleration of that, of this implosion of well-known leaders um, and leadership structures within the Western Evangelical Church. And I think initially our, our knee-jerk reaction sometimes is to blame this on the issue of celebrity, which I, which I think is an issue. But is there something deeper going on there than just that people are well-known and kind of getting sucked into that? Yeah, again, it's a great question, Kenny. I think, um, who knows? Who knows what goes on in these people's lives? And even even when even when we apparently get some detail, but I suppose what I've got to do in the first instance is look at myself and, and say, how how am I contributing to that problem? Uh, am, I, am I training people properly? Am I equipping people properly? It can't be entirely their fault. Mm. I'm not making excuses for myself or anyone else, but sure. it just makes me question, and I'm talking to myself here, how intentional are we about the way we grow and nurture leaders for those positions? I think if we were better at doing that, we might see fewer people succumbing to the pressures of senior leadership. Lots of people aspire to be leaders, but actually very few are schooled in what comes with leadership. And, and actually... In my experience, very few people are cut out for it. And what I mean by that is very few people are gifted for it or called to it. But fundamentally, all of that is is a failing of leadership training at some level or another. And you, you kind of touched on it there, but I mean, how is equating leadership with gifting? How is that confined to the problem? Because it feels like we often kind of say that person's a gifted person in a particular area or has a broad set of of skills or gifts therefore they must then be good leaders yeah you're right kenny there's a i think i well i'm party to a lot of those kind of conversations amongst leadership teams when they're thinking about next generation and succession planning um i think the other problem we have is we have a tendency to promote people to leadership positions without doing sufficient due diligence and what i mean by that is giving them the opportunity to practice leadership and to find out whether they are cut out for it we tend to look at it the other way around. We're going to watch this person to see if they're a leader. Well, it's a two-way street. We need to find out if that person really does want to be a leader or it really is cut out. And I don't think we intentionally mentor people enough into senior roles. Um, we decide they're ready. We throw them in. Too often we do that. Uh, but the other thing we've got to remember is the potential leader themselves will always think they're ready. We all do that, don't we? We all think we're ready. Yeah, I'm ready. You know, how many times do I say to God, come on, God, I'm ready. What we're waiting for? And he sits there often, you know, I'm sure, and thinks, well, you know, Andrew, I'll let you know when we're ready or not or whether it's for you. So thanks for telling me about your ministry. I'll let you know what I want you to do. So it's that kind of, um, you know, we, we've got to help people and shape people and work with them in, in deciding and discerning whether that's the right thing and whether it's the right time, because, you know, the classic thing is in God's kingdom, time is everything. So they might well be the, the right person, but not for that role and not for that time. Yep. Yep. So when you're talking about that kind of prolonged period of discernment and training, how much does character become a, a part of that? Um, so there's there's one thing about helping people to develop and hone their gifting and their skills. Maybe the character part of it is, is not always the part that we lean into as heavily. Yeah, 
it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of the literature around leadership talks about character and, you know, we've got five C's and three C's and something else. There's lots of, we have lots of books and models and frameworks and approaches, but fundamentally we're, we're only going to find out about somebody if we put them under pressure in certain situations that I don't mean that in a, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of torturous way, but we've got to expose them to some of those pressures before before they get into that position so that they can get a taste for it and know what the options are and the coping mechanisms for themselves and how to handle things with other people. And this is, I think this is where you see a lot of collateral damage. When I work with leadership clients, um, when I meet, I do a, I do an hour with them and like an assessment in the first instance. And I say, you know, good to meet you. That's great. Can you tell me, tell me a bit about yourself? <clears throat> and they spend 55 minutes telling me what they do. I said, that's really interesting. I'm more interested in who you are. And then I say, you know, if, you, if we're going to work together, I'd like to talk to you about who you are. And it takes, it unnerves people. It throws them completely, hmm. primarily because nobody's asked them that before. They're often senior leaders already. Hmm. And some of them said to me, why do we want to go back and do that? And I said, well, we've got to bottom out some of that character stuff to find out how you deal with things. Now you might deal with things a little bit differently. So, Character's everything. But again, we, we can often throw people into, into situations. They might look like they're very good at doing something. They might have led a smaller team, but they've never been in a situation where their character um, traits have been put under pressure. Um, so, And that's why it's so important, I think. Um, as, I suppose the other thing about leadership, Kenny, and you know this, if we fail to adequately support leaders in terms of accountability structures, we're always going to be in trouble, and they are. Mm. People think when you get to a senior leadership position, you don't need support. It's the loneliest place on the planet. Mm. There's nobody you can talk to. You can't tell the people above you, you're bored, that you're struggling because they'll sack you. You don't want to tell your peers because they're all after your job. And you can't tell the people underneath you because that will make them wobble. Yeah. So who do you, who do you talk to? And senior leaders need need as much support if not more than than anyone and i think we just we forget that we inevitably goes back to your point about celebrity we put people on a pedestal we think they've made it they won't need they don't need mentors or accountability structures they are so and so well that's not true yeah yeah and and there's maybe a, a point in there going back to your boundaries book that you spoke about earlier this sometimes i was just thinking about when you're seeing people um, talk about what they do. There's this kind of merging of identity with the role that they play, and I, g- I guess to some sense that's inevitable. We're all, you know, if we're passionate about what we're doing for God and the positions that we play, but sometimes I think that that defensiveness or some of the inability to see what's going on comes from I am what I do for God, um, and um, yeah, I don't know what do you think about that. No, again, you're right. There are two or three things that are common to leaders in difficulty. One is they have poor boundaries or their boundaries have been diminished in some way, usually through by being exposed to manipulative practices inside an organisation. That that diminishes us all if we're not careful. Mm -hmm. Secondly, if leaders are happy to run with a quiet life and not to deal and with issues and confront them outright, then that will inevitably diminish their leadership. Um, And thirdly, personal security. 
if you know we're all on a journey we'll, we'll never be the finished product we get that but if if leaders don't work hard at self-awareness and their insecurities the wheels will come off it's as simple as that it's just a matter of time yeah, yeah. okay so you then would see servant leadership as um as a healthy model for churches now that term servant leadership you hear it everywhere so how do you define that because it's one thing to know the term and to think about it in kind of general generalities but let's get quite specific on, on what you would mean by that yeah so it it's really about people who put aside their own ambition and invest in other people they are other centered if you like and the main thing about servant leadership and what distinguishes it from other forms of leadership is that it focuses entirely on the individual and not on the organization every other form of leadership ultimately works towards a better organization more profit improvement at an organizational level servant leadership has nothing to do with that it's entirely about investing in individuals mm. and of course the kicker on that is that if you do that then the organization will benefit anyway because people will will simply perform for want of a better word it's as simple as that so so and servant leadership is is about collegiality and trust and integrity um and intentional investment in people so that that's what distinguishes it from all other forms of leadership and that that is why it it stands alone now, immediately I can start thinking about how that conflicts with sometimes the way that we see what church leadership is about, about growing a church, about numbers. And we we play a game with that where we say, well, it's not really about numbers, but we know <laughs> we know that people are counting and and making sure. So this, this real effort for growth seems to be around numerical growth, attendance, people doing things. But you're saying actually... That's that's almost like in a corporate sense the profit margin, the bottom line. So it feels to me a bit of a conflict that you would be asking kind of senior leaders to say, no, what you need to really be doing is focusing in on individual lives. So is that the way you kind of come across that that's a bit of a shock to people that you speak to who are in senior church leadership? Yeah, completely. And secular leadership, as you can imagine. Yeah. I mean, to secular leaders, that's crackers, isn't it? It's crazy. Um, why would you do that? And people sometimes say that to me, why would I do that? Right. Um, that's going to, you know, certainly people have said to me, that's going to jeopardize my position. I could never say that to my board. Um, I, I understand all that. See, servant leadership's counterculture. It's counterintuitive. And I'm sure, I'm sure I read that somewhere. I think, I think we are supposed to be countercultural and counterintuitive. Yeah. But I, I know it's the biggest risk anybody would take jumping into that approach. I totally understand that. Mm. I remember that feeling. I remember it. Mm -hmm. it. It seemed ridiculous to me to do that. We grew up in a world where, you know, that is not how it is. That's not how you succeed. That's not how you progress as an individual. And it's certainly not how your organisation will progress according to the world narrative. So what what I'm asking people to do is to think about putting people over profit. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, culture over numbers. And I recognise that, that that is the biggest ask I will ever make of anyone. And mm. I don't blame them at all if they say, thank you very much, I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is interesting you say that it's becoming more and more something that you're seeing happening in the corporate world, people taking that on board. I, I think it's quite interesting that in the church, 
particularly at the moment, we kind of see the last vestiges of a kind of CEO model, that a kind of business model that's become a norm in the church. It's interesting, the business world in many places is now moving towards the servant leadership, which, which maybe we should have been, you know, the pioneers or the demonstrators of. Yeah, I'd, and there's all sorts in that, Kenny. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, probably until 15, 20 years ago, you, I, I couldn't have spoken openly to people about servant leadership, secular leaders, and been taken seriously. But the, the great news for us now is that, that this is um, accepted and in some cases revered in secular organisational life. I've often wondered why that is. It might well be that it's simply that nothing else is working. We better try that servant leadership thing. <laughs> and of course, in North America, it's been picked up quite quite a lot. Um, so, you know, we're in, we're, in, we're in a good time in terms of promoting this stuff and talking about it. It's still quite difficult to convince some people in this country about that, and and you know, in, uh, obviously in other in other parts of the world, it still doesn't ring true, and at certain levels and in certain sectors. But I, I do I do think that we're getting to that point where it absolutely is a legitimate, bona fide, valid form approach to leadership. So, again, good news for us, really, in 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 terms of the way in which we can impact as Christians, we can impact uh, people in secular church life i think i think one of the reasons servant leadership was probably not well accepted in in secular organizational life in the first instance was pre- precisely because it had religious connotations hmm. so you know it's taken seminal text on servant leadership was written in 1977 it took a while to catch on but now as i say i do think i do think we're making a lot of progress yep and you know hopefully in the church we can see a return to a more clear practice of it i think like Secular organisations, churches, and particularly in this country, I can only really speak about about the UK. Mm-hmm. I think post COVID, we're having to think about things differently, and yeah. and this is one of it's a great opportunity to talk about the way we do leadership. You know, we're not going back to how things were, and the traditional church, much as we love it and respect it, will not be enough in a post COVID world, and that's got implications for its leadership as well as its wider practices. One thing I instantly think about when we're talking about this is that authority is a big word and a lot of pastors talk about authority that they have or how they exercise authority what does that look like in a in a servant leadership model yeah this is where it gets messy isn't it Hmm. because i suppose if you look at the classic biblical passages on this um you know where jesus is essentially teaching his disciples what what servant leadership looks like again this isn't going to sound great to to some people in terms of the way in which they might have been used to operating or or want to operate. You know, John 13, Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Mark 10, disciples arguing, you know, who's going to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus. Same incident in Matthew 20. And and really what, you know, these are classic examples. They're, they're well-known examples and, <clears throat> and instances of where Jesus sort of demonstrates something different. And again, what he does is he, he he does something that's completely countercultural and counterintuitive because in that society, if you think about how that society worked, the way to lead, or notionally the way to lead, was very similar to the way we do it now. So at least we've got a bit of a template there, but it's in stark contrast to, to what the norm looks like in our organisation, secular and otherwise. I think one of the things that does come on my radar quite a lot, Kenny, is when I talk to church leaders and we start to talk about authority, 
we often get into a conversation primarily because I want to ask them about it, about the difference between authoritarianism and authority. Mm. Those are two very different things. Conversation for another time, but that I think that there's some work there to do with with church leaders probably. I think there's also an issue around authority and personal insecurity. And a lot of that, you, when you have those conversations with church leaders, you can bottom out with a conversation about their trust in God and ultimate surrender around their role. Hmm. Easy, the, those are easy words to say, aren't they? For all of us. Yeah. Different matter altogether doing it. But fundamentally, the truth is this. In God's kingdom, the only way up is down. <laughs> and for a, for a servant leader, you've got to die to self every day. And that'll be a daily battle for me, yeah. as, as it is for many other people. Yeah. And it's, it's an uncomfortable space to be in because it's counterintuitive. Okay, so how can we better train young leaders in this countercultural, counterintuitive way of leadership that is maybe more reflective of what Jesus taught? Yeah, and, and young leaders, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I meet a lot of young people and they say to me, Andrew, I want to be a leader. And I say, really? <laughs> be careful what you wish for. <laughs> and some people say to me, but I'm a born leader. And I say, that's really interesting. Um, you know, probably need to do some further reflection and work around that with a good mentor and, you know, think about what that actually means. I think first and foremost, we've got to stop making assumptions about servant leadership in churches that we know what it is and that we all do it naturally. I think I think that's a mistake. One One way to mitigate that is we need some good biblical teaching around servant leadership with sound theological grounding. And thirdly, I think we need... I'm bound to say this, I think we need leadership development programs for people in churches, not just for church leaders, mm. but to bottom out to, as part of a due diligence process in terms of who might become a leader, who might be being called to be a leader. Um, so there's there's all sorts of things there we can do quickly, easily, and it's free. I think with young people, Kenny, there's a one thing that often gets in the way in those conversations is there's a striking sense of ambition and to move quickly. They've got to they've got to get up the ladder quickly. I know we all we remember that, don't we? That's right. You know, you've got to change the world in 20 minutes, fine. I find it much more difficult to convince young people about taking the risk into servant leadership around the countercultural, counterintuitive things that we've just talked about. Because they tend to struggle with, but wait a minute, if I don't do it out of the world, does it? I'll never get to where I need to get to or to where I'm going. So mm -hmm. I often say to them, one of the problems when you jump into a servant leadership mindset is your peers will drive past you in the fast lane. You've got to accept it and you've got to hold your nerve. People who you think should not be in positions that they get into, that you should be in those positions, let it go. You've got to sit and watch them. And that could take a number of years. Hmm. But I'm a firm believer that the cream rises, God chooses who he chooses and his timing is right. And I just said to them, you know, God will promote you. He knows where you're going. He'll promote you. You don't need to worry about that. But that's a matter of trust. And I totally understand that young people in particular find that conversation difficult. Mm. Yep. And I think as part of that, what you've just described, it, the onus then is on those of us who are already church leaders, have been doing it for a while, 
the way that we have our leadership structures in our churches, if we're going to train a next generation, it requires us to do some groundwork and some shifting ourselves. Yeah, I, I mean, I often, you know, I, I teach servant leadership, obviously, for WTC. And the first thing I say in the first session is to all the people in the seminar, you're all doing this already. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know. We're just going to talk about how we might get better at it as a collective. So I'm I'm confident that the vast majority of church leaders do know this stuff, but they may not know how to articulate it to younger people through a succession conversation or a mentoring situation. And that's why we need leadership development for church leaders and for others in churches, just so we're all on the same page. And just just really, it's a, it's a reflection piece for us, Kenny. You know, we've got to look at ourselves continually and go back to basics and just do the, the everyday challenge. Am I, am I actually doing what I am asking other people to join in with? I'm never going to get it right. I've I've got to accept that. I don't like that, but I've got to accept it. But I want to I want to be a better servant leader today than I was yesterday, and that's all I've got. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It, it it I suppose the reflection piece is also a bit of self awareness for church leaders to think: do do I really need this? Do do I want to go back and do some work? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay. That's an individual decision. That that's not my call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said earlier, I think the good thing is we have, in some sense, the template, both of Jesus who modeled it well, and also of his disciples who stumbled and learned and corrected and repented and, you know, and and learned how to do it as well. Um, But were equipped by the one who really was the ultimate servant leader. Andrew, thank you so much for this conversation. It's, just, it's like we, we usually only have kind of half an hour for these. And by the end of it, sometimes we just kind of crack the door open on something. And But I think you've given us a lot to think about and take forward. And I think you're right. If we're serious about having healthy leadership in our churches, we've been presented with an opportunity at this time to rethink and recalibrate the way that we do that. So I really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with us. Yeah, pleasure, Kenny. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Andrew and Kenny, for highlighting the challenges and also the benefits of a servant leadership approach which seeks to lead like Jesus. The specific challenge for current church leaders seems to be raising up new potential leaders who follow this model. So thank you, Andrew, for giving us some practical steps towards that goal. In our next episode, Kenny will be joined by Marika Hook, who has done a lot of work with professionals in mission within wide-ranging cultural contexts. They would be chatting about how professionals can bridge certain gaps that the church is unable to cross, and also how the church could more effectively support these professionals to be active kingdom missionaries within the corporate world. This episode is full of practical and innovative insights, so don't miss it. Theodisc is part of WTC, a theological college that seeks to partner with the church through equipping and sending the whole people of God. Our innovative hub model allows you to study on any of our part-time programmes without leaving your work or ministry. Come and find out more at wtctheology.org.uk. Thank you for listening to episode 24 of Theodisc. Join us for episode 25 with Marika Hook, 
as we look at how professionals can be kingdom missionaries and culture shapers. Bye for now.